Let's stand together and open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Let's start reading at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is the text this morning. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to preach for just a few minutes on the true test of Christianity. I... As a young man, I had to develop certain study habits in order to do well in school. I never had a great memory, so I had to establish a great work ethic. I was not one of those people that could wait until the last night before the test and study and hope to do well. So what I did, I simply reviewed all semester long, and then when we came to the test, I watched as others panicked and the night before, I would rarely study. I'd say, if I don't have it now, I'm certainly not going to have it tomorrow. And so when I went through college, most of my friends thought, that man is brilliant. He's making A's and he doesn't study for his tests. But that was not the case at all. Mine was more of a methodical, daily study, accumulated study, that usually would guarantee me a decent grade on a test. When it comes to the Christian life, here's what many think they can do. They think they can skip classes, ignore the teaching, and kind of skate their way through. And then when test time comes, here's what we see often in Christianity. People fail the test. And if we don't get 3 through 9, verses 3 through 9, if we're not living out the spirit-filled life, it says, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And if we're not taking those steps, growing in grace, maturing as Christians, when it comes time for persecution, we're going to fail the test. I think many in today's uh, Christian realm are living off the spirituality of another. Here's what I've seen as a pastor I've watched people as they come to church and think, well, you know, that's where that spiritual man parks. I think I'll park right there. And they come in, I think if I sit in the first three rows and I carry my Bible and I'm faithful to church and I sing the songs and what Bible do you have? Wide margin. I'm going to buy a wide margin and hopefully it'll make me as spiritual as they are. What we don't understand, spirituality is a process and it takes Time and effort and energy and if someone's not walking with God and growing in grace at some point you may be in church for 10 years or 15 years but at some point there will be and there will come a test a test of your faith and persecution is just that it says blessed are they which are persecuted now in the United States of America it's not like we face true persecution now in these verses it 
defines persecution in three ways. Look what it says in verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. That's a mocking that takes place. Now, in our society, we're watching that grow. For being a Christian, being different, living for God, trying to be righteous in a very unrighteous generation, men will mock you. They will revile who you are and who you serve. And then it says they'll persecute you. Now, that's a physical level. That's something that we know very little of. No one in here has been thrown in jail for the gospel's sake. No one here has been beaten or stoned or run out of town. And that's something we've not faced. But around the world, I looked up just yesterday, according to Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population, that's 5.3 billion people, are suffering on some level living in areas with severe religious restrictions in the country where they live. That's not us. According to this year's statistics, over 300,000 Christians this past year died for their faith around the world. Martyrs in 2013. Now, that sounds so foreign to us because the freedom of religion that we experience in this nation and although that's changing, we are thankful that we can come to church this morning without fear of the government interfering in our worship service. But according to the United States States Department, Christians in more than 60 countries at this present time are facing severe persecution for their faith. Now, we don't understand that. We look out at a world and, and hear about Christians in Iran and Iraq and other Muslim countries or North Korea or even what they're facing in China and India, hearing about some of them having their houses of worship burnt to the ground or their own houses burnt to the ground simply because they're Christians. We can't comprehend that. But here's what we do understand. People will mock, people will jeer. That kind of thing will happen. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, Blessed are ye when. So it will happen. If you're living righteously, some level of persecution will happen. They shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, when we talk about suffering, if we know nothing of suffering, there's actually a problem with that kind of Christian living. Because here's what he says in verse 10. We will be persecuted for righteousness sake. Now I know when we're talking about righteousness, we have been declared righteous as Christians. The moment that we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were made righteous in his eyes. The Bible does say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But you're not going to be persecuted simply because you've been washed in the blood, made a child of God. But when that righteousness begins to seep its way out and be shown to a very dark world, that's when a Christian will face persecution. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:12: All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, here's what we do understand. As long as you're a closet Christian, as long as you're in hiding, as long as your righteousness is hidden within and never makes its way out, you're safe from persecution. This is what we see sweeping through our churches all across this nation 
an unrighteous, unholy, ungodly spirit and attitude simply because men hate the thought of persecution. As long as we conform, as long as we don't make waves, there's only one problem. Paul said that which is in us, the Holy Spirit, is going to permeate our thinking and our living in such a way it'll come into conflict, daily conflict with the world. Here's how Christ put it. Keep your finger in Matthew 5 because we'll be coming back. Look what it says in John 15. Christ stated it very clearly, told us what would happen. John 15, verse 18 if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Now, here's how you can measure your Christianity by the level of persecution you face. So if you're not mocked, reviled, spoken evil against, that means they don't see you any differently than they see anyone else in that workplace or in that school. But he said... Here's the problem. It hated me before it ever hated you. If you were of this world, hey, the world would love you. But I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now look at verse 22. This is key. If I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. So here's what happens. When you put a Christian in the midst of a very worldly-minded people, it goes in conflict with their philosophy. It goes in conflict with their direction. It removes their cloak. It creates a conscience that is disturbing for them. So the natural reaction is persecution. Here's the way Paul put it. He said, suffering is a sure mark of sonship. He said, friend, you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. I know these words aren't being preached across our pulpits. These are not acceptable teachings in 2014. But this is still profitable to preach because of our society, the way things are headed, you do have this guarantee. You can mark it in your calendars. You can put it in your agendas. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. It is coming. It'll happen. Now, here's a way to avoid that. Just don't be a good Christian. So if they're having a party at work and they invite you, hey, we're going to get together this Friday night and have us a good time, here's what most will say to avoid the persecution. Well, you know, I'm pretty busy this Friday night. That doesn't make you distinct. That doesn't make you different. That makes you a coward. But if you say, listen, I'm a Christian. I don't drink. I don't fornicate. I don't party. So you, there's no need to ask me again or invite me. I don't feel left out. I actually feel pretty good not to be involved. Now you're asking for persecution. But the Christians like to take the easy way out. You know, you dress a little differently. You know, I'm kind of cold-blooded. <laughs> the 
There's just ways to avoid the reviling. There are ways to avoid the mocking. There are ways to avoid the persecution. And so most Christians live, whether it's at their work or at their school, whatever their surroundings are, they found a way to kind of sneak in and sneak out and no one even knows who they are, where they go to church, or that they're a born-again child of God. But if you live differently... If the world knows you're a born-again Christian, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. The last thing Christians need to do is find a way to be obnoxious. I'm talking about simply now, now why would Christianity suffer persecution? Because Christianity, living out the Beatitudes, is Christianity. So why would being meek, hungry and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker, why would that bring persecution? because it condemns their lifestyle. It's different. And when you refuse to laugh at their jokes, at some point they're going to catch on. Whatever I'm saying that's funny to the filthy mind, it is not funny to that man. Now you will become the brunt of their jokes. And that's what most Christians don't like. So here's what we do. If we lose our uniqueness... We'll call it unique. Christ called it in 2 Peter a peculiar people. Now, don't go out of your way. You know, you don't need a huge mustache to look any more peculiar. You don't need a three-foot beard. Simply being a Christian and acting like a Christian, behaving like a Christian, is going to make you peculiar in the eyes of this world. Now, here's what he said at the end of verse 12. They persecuted the prophets, which were before you, so you might as well expect to be persecuted as well. If they persecuted Elijah and Jeremiah, the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, if you study this Bible, I don't know of a single... Uh, man in this book that we call hero that they didn't persecute on some level. The real question is this. Are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Do you crave for Christ to be honored and glorified in your life? Now here's what we want to talk about for just a minute. When Christ is real in you, it makes the world very uncomfortable. When Christ is real in your life, you stand for purity and chastity, and that condemns the adulterers and the fornicators. If you live simply and you're happy with what God has given you, you're content, that's a message against the folly of excess. They don't like that. If you walk humbly with your God, as the Bible commands us to do, then that makes those that are proud very uncomfortable. So if you're living the godly life, there's condemnation and you're not exposing their sin, you're not condemning them. You're simply living righteously and that makes the world very uncomfortable. Look what the Bible says. In, before we read John 3, look what it says in verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Verse 16, let your light so shine. Now how does the world respond to that? Go with me to John chapter 3. The natural reaction. There's, there can only be two reactions according to John 3, verse 19 through 21. There's either persecution 
or conversion. There's no other response that can take place. Verse 19, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. In men, this world, the unregenerate, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So what happens when the light is shined upon that? Verse 20, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. So if you're the light and you're shining brightly, what's the natural reaction of this world? To be perturbed. You don't have to stand up on, in your office uh, on top of your desk and pull out the King James Bible and begin to preach. You know, all you have to do is walk in with a smile on your face, Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit indwell in your life. It doesn't matter if you bring in a pocket Bible and never open it up. They're disturbed with that. They're disturbed that you don't join in in the things that they do and the conversations that they have. They're disturbed that you don't spend 20 minutes with them in the break room. They're disturbed that you leave at 5 o'clock and go straight home and enjoy being with your family. They're disturbed that you never got drunk with them over a weekend. They're disturbed by all of that. And as a result, they will persecute you Verse 21, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. So what's the second response? They'll either persecute you or get converted. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now, if you're not facing mocking, mistreatment, or malignment on some level, that's the three categories of suffering that we see in Matthew 5, there's a problem with your Christianity. Or maybe that persecution has simply been delayed. But at some point, if you don't face some level of persecution, that means your light has been hid. You have found a way around really, truly announcing, I'm a Christian, I'm going to live like a Christian. So the world, let me ask you a question, is the world comfortable with your Christianity? Because if the world is comfortable with your Christianity, it's no Christianity at all. Especially as far as this society is from God. As far as they are from Bible principle. Now they mock everything. It's not just holy living, but it's creation, believing in that book, going to church. All of that ought to make you very strange in their eyes. So it doesn't matter how kind you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are, how loyal you are, how hardworking you are, being a good Christian in your workplace, being respectful in your workplace, being honest and hardworking in your workplace will not make that acceptable to a lost world and a lost environment. They're going to look at you and say, we don't like anyone or anything that's different. But because cowardice has swept across our churches and changed our Christianity, silenced our Christians. Look what it says in John 1 verse 6. There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light. Who 
Who was that light? Jesus Christ, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that come to the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. How did the world react? He came to his own. His own uh, received him not. Knowing that, go back with me to Matthew chapter 5. We should not think it strange when we face persecution for righteousness sake. Now, here's the guarantee. If you live righteously, if you live holy, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer one of these three things, maybe all three. Mocking, mistreatment, malignment, they're guaranteed. If you want to avoid those things, all you have to do is keep Jesus secretly in your heart. Don't live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then the world will ignore you. They'll think that you are one of them. But we'll suffer for two reasons. For righteousness sake. And then look what it says in verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake. That means for Christ's sake. Now, here's what you can do in this society or most societies. You can talk about God and not face persecution. You can pray as long as you don't do it in Jesus' name. Jesus makes things exclusive, and the world knows that. So as soon as you talk about Jesus Christ, his shed blood, as soon as you preach in his name, Things change immediately. Look what it says in Acts chapter 13. Let's look at the example of Paul. Now, Acts is filled with these examples, but we'll look at just one for sake of time. As soon as Paul begins to preach Christ, that's when things go south. It doesn't matter if that's Lystra, Derby, Lyconia, or Ephesus or Corinth, you just see this repeatedly in his ministry, Acts 13, verse 47. But he says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light. There it is again. When you're a shining light, opposition will come. I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, they believed the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But what happens? The Jews stirred up devout. Now, here's what's going to happen. When you get stirred up for Jesus, you're going to stir things up. People got stirred up. Devout and honorable women, the chief men of the city, they raised what? Persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Now, go back with me to Matthew chapter 5. That is what is going on to have any Christian that stands up for righteousness sake or for his name's sake you will suffer on some level now here's what Christ says about that verse 11 blessed are ye now hold on for a minute how many of you have ever been facing something that you considered horrific and a Bible believing Christian with the King James Version came and said but we know that all things Work together for the good. We know you just faced tragedy, horrific circumstances, but my brother, my beloved, all things work for the good. Some novice goes into the nursing home. Some novice goes up to the hospital. 
and says, oh, don't worry, God's in total control. And that poor person who is suffering, whether it's the bad news of a disease or the death of a loved one, uh, they can't quite comprehend, especially not coming out of that person's mouth, the truth of what is being said. But when Christ says, blessed are ye, we're talking about someone who knew of suffering and was, listen, the very purpose of his coming was to face death and to be crucified. And he was not oblivious to that. He came with that purpose in mind. So knowing that he was headed to Calvary, he looks at his disciples and says, blessed are ye. That means you have the favor of God on your life when you are persecuted. Now that's a mystery for the carnal mind because we say blessed are we when we're sitting on the beach <laughs> taking a vacation, fishing in Colorado. Blessed are ye at Disney. Blessed are ye at a nice hotel, a beautiful resort or eating a great steak. Blessed are ye. But when he says when men are reviling you in physically persecuting you, in speaking evil against you falsely, blessed are ye. Hold on for a minute. It gets more mysterious. Verse 12, rejoice. Now, I don't see you rejoice very often. You, you signed on that new house and you rejoiced. You bought that new vehicle and, Pastor, you got to smell the leather in this new truck. It's unbelievable. All the gadgets and everything you'd ever want or not need. It's all right here in this truck. You're rejoicing. You just had a, a, a baby. You just inherited some money. You just went on a vacation. And I can see the rejoicing and here's what Christ told them speaking of all the, the things that they were going to have to suffer for his name's sake. Then he follows it up with this instruction. Jump up and down. Shout it out. Smile like you just won the championship. Now tell me this makes sense. Hold on, it gets better. Rejoice and be exceeding. Now here's what other versions, perversions have done. They took out exceeding. That's too much. That's over the top. That can't be a proper translation. But these were Christ's words to his disciples. When all of this happens to you, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, there are only a handful of times in your life that your wife can point back to and say, Ernest at that moment was exceedingly glad. Now, this is not the way we look at persecution. And when something bad is about ready to happen, it's not like we sit back and say, boy, I can't wait to celebrate that. I'm about ready to be lied about. Can't wait for that to happen. Boy, I hope it's 10 or 12 people, not just one. I hope the rumor spread through the whole church. I hope it hits a blog, Facebook, and Google+, and thousands of people all across this nation are able to defame me for the cause of Christ. This is going to be fantastic. It's Merry Christmas to me in the middle of June. That's not the way we look at it. Not that you go to work and now that they know that you're a Christian, they begin to mock, oh, here comes Billy Bible. 
All of us are working overtime, but let me guess, you can't work overtime going to church. All right, we're going to follow you down there. See if you're really going. Oh, Billy B. Not that you say, yes, I love being called Billy B. I wish I'd just go down to the courthouse and change my name to Billy B. That's not the way we think. To the contrary, when someone even says the word persecution, it kind of sends a tremor in our soul. When we hear about what people are facing around the world, it makes us nervous. When we spend a week in North Korea, literally, it'll, it, it'll turn your stomach thinking about what those Christians are suffering for the cause of Christ. And he says, when you face these things, blessed are ye, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, this is a test of real Christianity. Real Christianity is not coming to church, carrying a Bible, having a smile, fulfilling your time, singing a song, raising your hand, praising the Lord for the great music and the simple message and going home. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is sharing the mind of Christ. Real Christianity is being heavenly minded. Here's what he says. Why rejoice and be exceeding glad? For great is your reward in heaven. The only problem is we're not heavenly minded. We're not thinking about our rewards in heaven. We want something tangible on this planet. Lord, how about a new car? How about a better job? How about a bigger house? How about a husband, Lord? How about a little money in my pocket? How about a bigger 401k? How about a few more friends? How about a, less allergies? That's the way we think. We're not thinking this life doesn't matter. Suffering that happens here is no big deal. This is but a moment of vapor. And then I have all of eternity. So what happens on this planet, what happens in this life, it doesn't matter. No, we are focused on the earthly, forgetting the heavenly. So in order for us to be able to suffer, we need to have something that's real. Now let's think about these disciples for a minute. Is they followed Christ for those years before his crucifixion. We thought they were strong, but then here's what the Bible reveals. At the moment Christ was detained and falsely accused and then crucified, the Bible says this, they all forsook him and fled. Fear gripped their hearts and the thought of persecution drove them away from Calvary. Now something happened, go with me to Acts chapter 5. Something happened that totally changed them because in the book of Acts, we see them facing persecution. And here's what it says in verse 40. Here's how they dealt with that persecution. Verse 40, to him they agreed when they called the apostles and beaten them. Now, hold on for a minute. We're, we're talking about with rods, with whips, Bleeding was involved. When they had beaten them, trained soldiers took them, tied them, and beat them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. Now, this will bring persecution. If you speak in his name, 
persecution is a guarantee. Then they let them go. They departed from the presence of the council. What is their reaction to what they just suffered? Rejoicing. Hold on for a second. They had grown to such a point that when the test came, this is 12th grade material. This is college material. Too many have flunked kindergarten for 15 years, spiritually speaking. They like to consider themselves senior because they've been in God's school for so long. But they're going to be faced with the test. What are you doing in this class? You don't belong here. Well, I've been here 15 years. You've never passed first grade, second grade, or third grade. This test is going to make you look silly. How did they pass this test? They had been growing at this point. Their Christianity was real. We're about ready to go into the Easter season celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the greatest proofs of his physical resurrection is the fact that the disciples all doubted that he would resurrect from the grave. So, the fact that the disciples were not all there waiting on the third day, the fact that even after he appeared, they doubted, proves that they weren't trying to fake his resurrection. They were doubters of his resurrection. And when they saw him, the reality sunk down deep into their soul, so deep that now their walk was real. This is a real God with a real son, with real resurrection power. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. Here's what I'm concerned about as a pastor. So many never really walk with God, understand the reality of heaven and hell and eternal life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If your Christianity is not real, it won't hold up to persecution. You want to know where we see a high schooler's Christianity is not real? Put them in a world where they're pressured to conform and they immediately conform to avoid mocking, mistreatment, and malignment. All it takes is a little bit of pressure to reveal what you truly believe. What they had was so real when threatened, when beaten, when jailed. We'll see later in the book of Acts. James is beheaded. Peter is jailed. All of the 12 at some point become martyrs. Except for John. You know why? Their faith was real. Boy, if you sent a little bit of persecution in the United States in 2014, you would clear out churches. You'd clear them out by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, yea, by the millions. The threat of persecution. You can't get people to read the Bible by coercion. What would happen if they were threatened with jail for owning a Bible? You've got to convince people to be faithful to church what would happen if you made a law that it was illegal to have church? You have to threaten people to go soul winning. What if the government said that you couldn't pass out a track, pray in public, or be a believer? The pressure can't force us to do right. What would happen if the pressure was against us, forcing us to do wrong? But when someone has a real faith, a real Christianity, which is... 
becoming more and more rare, here's what happens. We start to go through the motions. Things become superficial. Show up for church. It's amazing to think we come to the house of God in worship, having done what we did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, pop in, show up, expect the Holy Spirit to bless, speak, move, and change. So we show up, sit in the pew, say, I hope God does something here, walk the aisle, confess the sin, walk back out. Nothing has taken place. Christianity is not real because it's not real on Monday. It's not real on Tuesday. It's not real on Wednesday. Not real on Thursday. So here's what happens when Christianity is not real. The truth is revealed on Monday. So when you're placed in the middle of the world and pressured to conform, the real you stands up. The real you is revealed. And the way you act and the way you talk and the things you laugh at, the place you go and the things you think, whether in public or in private, that's the real you. The real you is not sitting in a pew this morning. This is the polished you. This is the public you. This is the performance you. This is the you that you want everyone to see. The real you pulled a carcass out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, stepped in the mirror and said, hmm, better fix this up so people see something a little more beautiful than what I'm seeing in the mirror. Persecution will reveal a teenager in five minutes. And we're not talking about a whip or a jail sentence. We're not talking about Chinese torture or a death threat. We are talking about a world looking the way they look and acting the way they act. And the world doesn't even say anything to our teenagers. And our teenagers feel the pressure and conform. The world doesn't even have to walk over and tell them, hey, you look strange. Hey, you act weird. Hey, what are you doing? You take a Christian teenager and you put them in a mall and they'll slink around and hide in the ladies' department, do their best to get out of there. They'll wear their tightest skirt, their lowest blouse, change their hair, all to fit. There's only one problem, Christians. If you truly have Jesus Christ in your heart and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you won't ever fit. Nothing more ridiculous than a Christian teenager trying to fit. The church looks at them weird and the world looks at them weird. And then they become a misfit. But if your Christianity is real, you're not looking to fit. You're not looking to conform. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction. Now this is Paul speaking. Hold on for a second. The man who was beaten three times with whips, 39 lashes every time he was beaten, jailed, shipwrecked, thrown out of city, stoned to death. He says, our light affliction. Now, 
If Paul refers to his affliction as light affliction, shouldn't we use the same terminology? Our light, no American can say, my heavy persecution. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. Now, what is our focus? Why do we so hate persecution? Our mindset is on this world, on the things that are temporal. Not that we have a heavenly mind, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, if we'd have a heavenly and eternal mindset. Now, let's talk about our Christianity for just a minute. We're getting to the message. Here's what becoming a good Christian means. You stop being sensitive. This is Christian growth 101. You're no longer affected by mocking, mistreatment, or malignment. Totally unaffected. Now hold on for a minute. There's some Christians still in kindergarten. I mean, they can't praise God if they have allergies. Oh, life is terrible. Texas, Austin, what a city. Malls and pollens and allergens. It's just unbelievable. You know what? You're never going to be able to rejoice in persecution if you can't rejoice with allergies. We're so easily disturbed and afflicted and frustrated. Now, here's how to test if you're a mature Christian. If you can rejoice and be exceeding glad when being mocked, some of you... Listen, they're Christians on such a low spiritual level, they walk around with a fire extinguisher trying to put out everyone and everything spoken against them. They come back on Sunday exhausted. Wow, I just had to put up so... It's amazing all the little fires you got to put out. Um, guess what? I'm not the king in the kingdom. I'm not the police of the kingdom. That's God's job. Why would I afflict my soul or trouble myself over what people are thinking or saying or doing? That would cause you to lose your mind. Wouldn't you be much better off becoming a meek-mannered Christian who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness, living as a peacemaker, then you'll grow into the spot where you can rejoice and be exceeding glad when suffering persecution. But the average Christian is so sensitive. He took my, he took, he took my spot. I have been parking there for 13 years. He knows that. He's not a visitor. Are you ever going to face persecution? He didn't even invite me. Forty-two people went. Forty-two, they told me. <laughs> Christians, we laugh at these things, but these are the things that Christians are troubled over. Such a sensitive generation. We're not talking about persecution. We're not talking about beatings. We're not talking about imprisonment. We're talking about being troubled and afflicted and 
sensitive over stupidities of life, that makes you a kindergartner in the faith. Because someone that has grown, someone that has matured, someone that has taken regular steps, someone that has truly followed after grace, developed their faith, is no longer sensitive. And it says it doesn't matter what anyone says or how they say it. It doesn't matter what anyone does or how they do it. I'm not offended. That's growth. Now, why would you want to be stuck? You, you've been to the nursery. You served back there. And one kid picks up a toy, whacks the other one over the head. He steals it, turns around, looks at who's in charge. He hit me. That is childish behavior. So the other kid runs over there and bites him in the arm. Now, what's crazier is that doesn't just happen in the nursery, the average independent Baptist church. That happens in the auditorium. People hitting and biting and scratching and clawing and angry with this person and that person and frustrated. Sensitive because what was said in the tone, it, it's not what he said, it was the tone. That's second grade. How are you going to handle persecution if you can't handle a tone? He needs to change his tone. You need to change your Christianity. Because a grown Christian is not offended, afflicted, distraught, despondent, frustrated. Because grown Christians aren't overly sensitive. Go back with me to Matthew 5 and we'll be done. So what do we do? Verse 14 through 16, Ye are the light of the world, a city that set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what are we supposed to do when we face persecution? We're supposed to shine. Christians, shine. I don't care where you're at. Shine. Be a light. Stop hiding your light under a bushel. Uh, here's what we figured out. As long as I don't shine, I'm not going to be persecuted. But there's a Bible command here. You are a light, and a light is supposed to be lit, and a lit light is supposed to shine. Instead of avoiding the persecution, we ought to say, no, I'm going to shine for Jesus. Verse 13, ye are salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So we're not just a shining light. We're not supposed to just shine. We're supposed to be salt. And salt preserves. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this generation. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is about. Being not, we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, that's salt. Holy in an unholy generation. And what? Be not conformed. Here's Conformity is a result of a weak Christian trying to avoid persecution. I don't want to look different. I don't want to act different. I don't want to be different. I don't want to face the mocking, the mistreatment, or the malignment. So I'm going to fit in. Now, here's how you can measure your Christianity this morning. 
Take a look at your life. Take a look at your week. Tell me how different you are willing to be. Because if you are not willing to be different on a Sunday in the house of God, surrounded by the people of God, support it by every Christian in the place. You mean to tell me on Monday you're going to be strong enough? Or Tuesday or Wednesday? Or at any point during your week? Young people that can't even... Listen, we have young people in our high school, young people in our Christian school setting that are so weak they can't do right in an environment where everything is in their favor. So what are they going to do when faced with just a touch of persecution? If you can't do right where everyone is helping you do right, how are you going to stand in a lost world that opposes you? Look what it says in Matthew 5, verse 43, and we'll be done. So it's not just a matter of shining and standing up, but it's a matter of showing love because we are God's children. How do we face persecution? Verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. I say, and you love your enemies. Now here's my next question. How in the world are we going to love uh, those that hate us when we can't love those that love us? If you can't love the Christians that surround you, how can you love uh, your enemies that oppose you? I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father. Who's your Father? God is love. And you're a child of God. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Verse 46, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Let me ask you this morning. How real is your Christianity? If it's real, it'll last through any persecution. It'll shine. It will rejoice. But if your Christianity is not real, to avoid the mocking, to avoid the mistreatment, to avoid the malignment, you're going to conform to fit in. Say, you know what? I don't want that. Maybe you'll simply reveal who you are because when you're a child of God, it's hard to hide it. When you're salt, when you're light, when you're a son of God, the world notices and the world says, either I want what you have or I hate everything you have. No middle ground. Father, we pray this morning 